host Columbus City Schools family and students, I want to welcome you to another episode of Inside CCS, Superintendent Student Ambassadors podcast. My name is Caitlin Izzo and I attend Centennial High School. And I'm Electra Sims, and I attend Marion Franklin High School. On our last podcast, our fellow ambassadors talked about what it is like to be a student inside of the classroom. Today, we want to continue that conversation by talking about mental health. We'd like to introduce our guests. Dr. Sarah Bodie, who is the medical consultant for Columbus City Schools and medical director of Nationwide Children's Hospital Care and Connection School-Based Health and Mobile Clinic along with Ms. Chaka Diop. She's a social-emotional learning practitioner within the Office of Whole Child Focus here in Columbus City Schools. Would our guests please explain like what their professional background is and how it works with mental health? So Sarah Bodie, I'm a pediatrician. Um, I work at Nationwide Children's Hospital and with the school district. And when we do work with pedi- in pediatrics, everything connects to mental health. So when we think about that, um, when you guys think about when you go to the doctor for your regular checkups or sick visits. When you're coming to the pediatrician, we're definitely looking at your physical health, right? We're listening to your heart and lungs. We're making sure everything is working correctly. But just as importantly, or more importantly, we're also thinking about your mental health. So you may have even answered some questions when you go to the doctor, like how is your mood? How are you sleeping? How are you eating? And that's really important because we want to understand how all of that is affecting you. So your head's connected to your body, right? And we have to make sure that all of those things are working together for you to be able to be as healthy as you can be. And so that's just a part of the work that we do every day. And I'm so glad to be here this afternoon. Uh, My name is Chaka Jope, and I am a teacher currently serving as a social-emotional learning practitioner. This is my 23rd year um, teaching. And one of the things I did I do notice is that our social interactions, how we think, the the way that students are ready are um, willing to take an intellectual risk and almost having a classroom and a space where I can make a mistake and I can recover from it. Um, all of those things kind of play a role with how we learn, um, learn from each other, and I think how we progress and. Um, progress and learn as well. Great. Um, so, Ms. Diop, can you please go into like more um, background about what social-emotional learning is? So, social-emotional learning is the opportunity. Let me just break this down. There are actually five competencies with social-emotional learning. Self-management, self-awareness, relationship skills, responsible decision-making, and social awareness. Okay? <laughs> Those are the five. That that fifth one is social awareness. Um Those things are what encompasses, or those are the the competencies that encompass with um, social-emotional learning. As a district, we're we're still trying to come up with a common definition of what it is. Um, But those five competencies do, if you think about that, the self-awareness, who am I, that identity, the self-management, like how do I manage myself in different situations, social awareness, what's going on around me. Empathy is a big part of that. And just kind of knowing, reading the room in a sense, it's it's really good. Those are, those are things that are important and valuable. Relationship skills, we have relationships no matter where we are, how much we like them or don't like them. Um, so relationship skills is, is powerful. And then finally, responsible decision-making. Those are, the, those things are how, who do I ask, who do I go to to ask for help when I need it? And 
And also, how do I, like, am I going, like, which direction do I go? And which direction do I need to make? And who can help me make those decisions? All of those things kind of interact. They're, they never really stand alone. They, they cross paths quite often. So that's kind of, that's, I, I don't want to give a definition of social-emotional learning because we're still working on that as a district and what that looks like. But I wanted to kind of highlight those five competencies. Could uh, either one of you explain the changes that happen with middle schoolers and high schoolers and how their mental health and emotional health changes? Yeah. So, you know, we all have to think about our mental health at all stages, right? So um, think about this even when you have toddlers. What happens when toddlers get upset? They don't know how to control their emotions, right? And so that's why they have those toddler tantrums. So many of you have probably seen like the two-year-old that just throws themselself on the ground screaming. The terrible twos. The terrible twos. That's right. Well, hopefully by the time you get to middle school, you're not throwing yourselves on the ground screaming, although maybe that occasionally happens or you feel like you want to. But a lot of it is like learning how to manage your emotions, right? So as you're growing and you're thinking about that, then we think about our mental health. And part of that is thinking about reacting, right, to how we're feeling and recognizing those emotions and those symptoms um, if we are struggling and what that is. So Typically in middle school, kids are often still figuring that out. You're also going through all these other hormonal changes that are like affecting your mood every day on top of that. And so we see a lot of kids that may not even recognize that they are feeling upset or sad or angry. And so kind of naming those emotions is is super important. Typically when you get to high school, you've gotten a little better at that. So maybe now you're recognizing those, but it's still really important to think about your mental health, right? Right? And so it's really important to still understand how to look at your friend or your, you know, your student that's sitting next to you in class. And are they just having a bad day? Or is this something that you're more concerned? And you're seeing that they seem down every day. They seem like they're struggling with even connecting to anybody. They're struggling with even, you know, right, like participating in class. They're really withdrawn, quiet. They're making comments that worry you. Well, then you're starting to think, gosh. This isn't just them having a bad day. This is someone I'm worried might be having some problems with their mental health. And so I think in that high school age, you can really start to understand and recognize it in yourself and others when someone's struggling. And then that's important, right? Because that's when you kind of find someone to get help. When you asked that question, my mind was going to like kind of what happens with the brain um, during that time. And I don't have um, a lot of background with neuroscience, but I do know um, that the development of the brain between that age. Dr. Bode, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, well, first of all, your brain doesn't stop developing ever, right? So you're making like new nerve connections all the time, like into your 20s, typically. And so every day, if you think about that, when you wake up, your brain is connecting one nerve to another and making new connections every day. So your body's changing all the time and your brain's included, it's growing. And so kids, when they're going through this middle school and high school age, they're actually making these new brain connections and it's allowing them to be able to process more complex things better as they get older. So there's a reason why it might be more difficult in seventh grade than 12th grade to process all this information around your emotions. And so you just have to understand that that's happening all the time and that can you know affect how kids react to the same situation. So if somebody gets a stressor at school, maybe one person's able to respond well to that and it's not really derailing their day, they're doing all right. And then maybe for someone else that really just threw them off and they can't kind of re 
group for the day. Well, great. Thank you so much. But uh, you said talking about ways to deal with it. Well, me and Electra were talking outside about how we deal with it. Like, I am a big fan of stuffed animals, like I, the one I have on the desk. And Electra... Yeah, I have a stress ball that I carry around. <laughs> um, but yeah, we were also talking about how therapy animals, like, for example, I know a Cole Kenwood has a therapy animal that comes in every, I want to say, Friday. Can you explain how therapy animals, I want to say it's serotonin, like help crease our serotonin or how therapy animals or different ways like stuffed animals or stress balls like help us deal with our emotions from a social emotional standpoint and from like a, a, a neuroscientific way. When you, as you were talking, my mind was going to um, like fidgets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, earlier, I was just sitting here clicking my pen and it, it was one, it was comforting for me. Um, I'm in a new situation, right? Um, there, I've also see, seen things like deep breathing. Mm. And if you've ever heard anybody just do it, let out a loud sigh that almost sounds like a growl. <laughs> You know, those are strategies that can be used to help bandage some of those things when you're you're feeling you, you got a lot of things going on. You can't quite name it. Th- those are ways that you can do it. So squeezing your ball, having your having those comfort things. I'm not, I'm not really sure about the therapy animals. I've not haven't had those experiences, but I do know my dog makes me smile and he reminds me to love every day. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, animals can be a huge support, right, to some people. Well, I I think about social-emotional learning because when we think about mental health, we think about all these stressors, right? Like, you guys know this, right? Mm -hmm. You go to school, you're in high school. High school's hard. You guys have long days. There's a lot going on. You have to worry about all different kinds of things, right? Other students at your school, your home life, the academics, the you know whatever you're doing after school. So there are always going to be stressors. There's always going to be things that you need to react to. So when you get a new stressor, what happens to your body? Usually your heart rate goes up. Like if you're nervous, right? You might have like those palpitations. Your blood pressure usually goes up. You have some adrenaline going on in your body. You're reacting in a negative way. You're all tensed up. Right. And so then you have these um, skills that you're learning through all your competencies on. All right. I'm in a bad situation. This doesn't feel good. How do I react to sort of bring my me back to my best self? And I think that's where all those things can help, like the stuffed animals, the stress balls, deep breathing. And yeah, if big fuzzy animal wants to come cuddle me, uh, bring it every day, right? That would feel so good to some people. So that can just calm your body down. It's going to lower your heart rate back down, lower your blood pressure. And you said it, you were exactly right. It can increase the dopamine and serotonin in your brain, right? So now what is that doing? That is all flooding all these good feeling chemicals in your brain that are allowing those nerves to connect so that you can kind of process and understand, all right, I'm okay. I'm okay in this moment. I'm going to focus on, you know, what I can do to get out of this situation or, you know, what's next for me. And that can really allow you to, you know, turn it into a positive again. As you were talking, um, I was, my my mind was going to the trauma-informed practices that informs adults and educators 
about how the trauma affects the brain. And one of the things in that is like what happens in your body when you're experiencing um, high levels of stress, when trauma is present, what happens in your body. And um, really identifying that what's going on with you, you could feel, sometimes I feel a, a warm flush may come through me or my stomach might get upset. So it, it shows me, my body tells me that I'm reacting in a manner. And also just kind of identifying how you feel what's happening with you with your feelings, right? Like I'll, I'll get a little stiff neck and I'll have to like, oh, I'm stiff in my neck. So it kind of carries. And when you can identify that, I think it empowers anybody or adults when you know what's happening in your body that you might be experiencing some high stress or even possibly some trauma. Ms. Chaka, I wanted to ask your opinion. Do you think the school district, the school district, provides enough resources for students dealing with like mental health and all that, like to help them? I will say that not just our district, I think our community is, I think the re- there's, there's weight, there's a long wait right now. So there's a high need but we, uh, there's not necessarily the professional resources to meet the need of, of all this, all the youth that need support with that, right? So I don't, I don't know if it's just a district issue, but it's also our community um, issue where we have a high need for students to have to speak to somebody, to have a therapist to talk to, to have counseling. And they just kind of have to wait until it's their turn because we don't necessarily have a lot of the professional resources to be able to meet the needs of all the students that need support with that. Yeah, I mean, like when I started trying to find a therapist, we were originally going to go through Nationwide, but I think this was probably October, yeah, around October of last year, or maybe September we were looking, but Nationwide had to wait until March. So the way I've been doing therapy is going through a program, I don't know if you set it up, but Nationwide has this program where they have therapists in schools. So that's the way I've been doing my therapy because they couldn't get me in in a physical building. Mm -hmm. That's the same with me. I also have a therapist at my school that I see. Yeah, I think um, first of all, this is definitely not a district issue. This is like a nationwide issue, actually, that there aren't enough, like, you know, licensed therapists and, um, you know, even medical doctors that help with the diagnosis um, of kids that are struggling, let's say, with major depression or bipolar, some of those diagnoses as well. But the districts worked really hard to set up and prioritize a lot of resources. And you guys mentioned a few of them. I mean, one is just the staff that's at the school, right? So it's your, your licensed, you know, counselor guidance counselors, social workers, your social emotional learning teachers that all have the training and skills to help with that. And then they partner with outside organizations like Nationwide and others that have therapists that'll come into the schools. And I think what's really important is this needs to be like an all hands on deck approach, right? And by that, I mean, everybody plays a part, like you two play a part, right? Just in um, how you're recognizing things for your other students, what kind of support you're offering. Your teacher plays a part every day, right? How they're, you know, reaching out to students in the classroom and how everybody's working to, number one, make it not a big deal that 
people need to talk to someone or are struggling, that that's like an open door for everyone to kind of talk about it together and then all work together to develop those skills, right, that can really protect you and help you. So I'm super proud of the fact that both of you were like, oh, let me tell my story right away. Mm -hmm. That shows, right, that you guys feel comfortable talking about that in the space. It's not a big deal, right? It's something that if you have an earache, you go and get it taken care of and take your medicine, right, your antibiotics, your mental health just the same thing. And so I think that's really good that you guys are able to share that. And then also that allows someone who's maybe feeling a little isolated or alone at school to be able to be comfortable enough to reach out to someone they trust at the school to be like, hey, I'm actually not feeling okay. Like I've tried. I've been squeezing my stress ball for weeks. It's not working, right? I need more. Uh, I think that's a really important component so that we can make sure we're, you know, supporting students wherever they're at. Dr. Bodie, I'm glad you lifted that um, collective uh, responsibility, a collective focus piece up with all hands on deck, and we do need to have all of our, um, everybody, everybody, our our whole community and everybody in the community is important to play a role in how the district, how the, how the community, and like you said, how the nation um, is responding to the needs. Yeah, and this is my experience, but personally, as a, as a student, as a young person, what really made my mental health worse is COVID and the pandemic. That's a really big thing that really got my mental health like way down. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. sorry. Yeah. We just, but like I just completely you. agree because like before COVID, yeah, I was a little anxious. Yeah, I didn't like it when my cat, I couldn't find my cat. But during the pandemic, it became a lot worse. I would like burst into tears if I couldn't find her. And now if I've been, my cat passed away in October of 2020, but with my dog that we got, like he, oh my God, he's adorable. But um, he, if I can't find him or if he's not feeling well, I immediately get a pit in my stomach, like just full on panic mode. And like, it's become like, I used to have a little bit of anxiety while going to sleep, but now like I have normally, I will completely like, I'll turn into an anxious wreck. I've learned ways to cope with it because of the pandemic and it's had a really big impact on me and I know it's had a big impact on my friends. Well, think about this, you know, this has never happened in anyone's life before, right? In in our lifetime with this pandemic and school's more than just a place you go to learn, right? Your your math and your reading and all those important academic skills. It's it's your home, right? Like you come to school every day, you're at your second home, you're with your friends, your teachers, other adults that you trust. And so basically we just took, that just got taken away during the pandemic, right? Everyone got isolated. And some of those really trusted relationships got broken because, I mean, you didn't have the cell phone of all those adults that you talked to at school. You probably didn't talk to all your friends. And if you did, you couldn't physically go see them for a while. So, and then there was just the stress of hearing about what was going on and worrying, right, about mm -hmm. outcomes of that. So, you know, that was an incredibly tough time. And I will actually say, I think it was more tough on kids than anyone else because because of school and because of the way you guys got pulled back. So number one, I think it was super great that we got back into the classroom. I mean, that, yay. Um, some lessons learned about how to do that quickly next time, if it ever comes up again, which hopefully not in our lifetime. And then really just understanding, like, that is such a common story, the story you guys shared. And so it just underscores the fact that we have to all work together to really support each other through this 
this time period. Something I did notice, though, after the pandemic ended, I don't know what it's like for other schools, but the freshmen at my school seemed more rowdy than, you know, usual, like more fights were happening between the freshmen and it was just more chaos, like after the pandemic ended. I feel like it kind of affected, like, they're like, you know, since they were coming from middle school and you know, they didn't get, like, a chance to, like, socialize and all that, you know, it just, like, affected them. Yeah, like, mentally, a lot of the time, I feel like I'm still 12, because I was 12 when the pandemic hit, so I, sometimes I'll be like, oh, wait, I'm not actually 12, I'm 15 and a half, I have my learner's permit, and I'm applying to jobs, like, it, it's, it's definitely, one thing is, There were, Centennial is notorious for having barely any fights. Like it's, I think last year we had over 10, which was an insane amount for my school. And I don't know about other schools. There's a lot more fights. There's a lot more like aggression. People don't seem to have these social skills. They seem to have either lost them or just have not developed them. What is your guys' take on it? I was thinking um, one of the things that I've been pushing in the area that I support is exposure and experience, right? Um, So allowing social interactions and learning to happen together. And it's okay. It's okay to talk to your partner. It's okay to share your thinking with with the people at your table um, and to be able to express those things. I think the day, I think gone is the day of, you know, sit down and do your, do your workbook, do, do your packet and, you know, don't talk to anybody, no talking. We want to continue to promote and give that those experiences because there was a lot of time missed um, without that. Yeah, I would say we've seen just not even just in this community here, but across the nation and in, in healthcare, we saw that just what you're saying, many of our kids were a little behind in their social emotional growth. So that means like those skills, right, that you get that aren't like the academic skills, but all the other life skills that you develop through school. And you didn't have that experience for a few years, right? So of course, then when you start back, you need to have it. You also weren't in a structured environment. So I was thinking about what you said about, oh, the freshmen, you know, they seem to be struggling. (laughs) But, you know, um, I I will share that I have three teenagers. They're um, two in high school and one in middle school now. But so during the pandemic, one of mine was the the return and that rowdy freshman, because he never really had that middle school experience to kind of learn how to kind of handle himself, you know, in those settings. And so I do think that can be hard and um, it's going to take time. So it might be a little rowdier, but that's all the more important to keep doing our social emotional learning, keep practicing how you handle your emotions when they're coming. And um, we'll all get through this together. And I will say, I was thinking, um, about during the pandemic as you as you ladies were talking was that safety predictability and consistency not present during that time those are things that kind of we know that like that's that's how we strive those are things that we need we need we need to feel safe we need to, I need to know that I can it's predictable I know what I know what I'm walking into on a daily basis and there's also that consistency piece so though that was impress that wasn't necessarily present during the um, pandemic cuz like we said it was kind of loose it was a little loosey goosey um and people were kind of doing what they they did the best that they could to survive we were in survival mode do you feel like uh current generations like recent generations the, their mental health is getting worse and worse or do you guys think, adding on to what Electra said, it has just 
been a more focus because I know a lot of Gen Xers and like baby boomers, their generation was taught, buck up. That was their whole thing. But, or do you guys just think it's just been more documented and less of a prop? Not like it has increased more. There's just been more like accepting of it and less hiding. I'm going to say a little bit of both. I definitely think the really good thing is that we are what we say, we call it destigmatizing mental health, right? So there were so many things we tried to like hide or not talk about back in the day, right? So if you were somebody that was uh, feeling depressed and at home, you might hide that, right? Because that would be thought of as a weakness or, you know, that you weren't just pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, right, to, so to say, um, and bucking up, like you said. And so the really good thing about that is we're, we're over that now, thankfully, right? We understand that there's like needs that we all have and our brain's super important and there's chemical imbalances that can happen in our brain. That's through nobody's fault. You're just affected by that and that's the way it happens. So I do think that that's a big part of it. But I also think that there are definitely, in addition to like being okay with identifying it and getting resources, we have been through some stressful times, you know, in this past generation. And I think some of what has changed is maybe our support network and our safety nets have changed a little bit too over the decades. Um, Maybe we're not all having uh, surrounded in a community that you feel like you can reach out and are supported. And so we have to think about how we set up those systems to make sure that everyone is supported. So school's a great place and an example of one of those. Um, and so I think also the pandemic, like we said, got rid of that sort of support system. And so I think it's both. And I think we just need to continue to sort of make sure that we're providing resources, that we're making sure everyone understands how important this is. And we're, we're focusing on our mental health every single day. Like, what am I doing for for myself, for my brain today? How am I how am I taking care of that? I was thinking about the um, Generation X um, piece because I am Generation X, <laughs> and it, there was shame attached to the mental health piece, yeah. the health piece, right? So there was um, some shame that came along with it, and I, there was it's also a cultural thing that kind of played and that came into play when it comes to um, speaking and talking about mental health and the shame that the, the shame attached that comes along with that. And so I'm not really sure where um, some of our cultural communities are with that now, but um, those were some of the things that were a little bit different by generations was the it's, it's the it's the cultural connection. And then of course there is this information access to information that Generation X and um, baby boomers did not have at the at, that's at your fingertip as a youth. We didn't have we couldn't research we couldn't go to Google and research you know like I you know whatever it is that you might be experiencing or anything that any question that you might have you can go to the internet and look it up. We didn't necessarily have those um, resources and technology has changed the world quite a bit since since then. We didn't have cell phones growing up as kids because oh, there, there weren't aware. cell phones. <laughs> Nobody yeah. had them, right? And you didn't have a computer, you know. Yeah, so. my dad loves to tell me, oh, when I was in your grade, we had one giant computer lab, or his favorite is, oh, you know, I had, like, when I got my driver's license, we were, like, there were, like, 10 of my friends in the car, and I'm, like, I'm not even allowed to have, like, a, out of, I'm only allowed to have, like, one friend that's not related to me and he's always like well I had to go look up in an encyclopedia and I 
become more aware as I've grown older, the generational gap in like mental health and just all sorts of things. And Electra, I don't know like if you have anything to add to this, but like just the difference in the, the way people have been raised just throughout the decades, not just generations. I did want to say like, uh, I, I do like technology, but I feel like it's also been like affecting like people negatively as well. Because I know in my experience, like I have like constant like access to like news and all that. And it's like an it's, it's a lot of negative news I find on social media and stuff. And that just brings me down, you know, stuff like that sometimes. Like I know like, technology, it's it can be good, but like also negative, like people can like, you know, look at social media, like models and stuff and feel bad about themselves. There's a bunch of like, you know, negatives and, you know, there's positives too. But I feel like that also is part of our generation, part of what's adding to the like negativity and all that. I think you're so right about that. It's so hard to navigate all of that, right? So as a mom, I worry about it with my own kids, but I can't even keep up with like what apps it is they want to look at, right? Talk about a generation gap. I'm Mm -hmm. like, what? You guys don't use Facebook? They're like, oh, mom. So, and I think, you know, now you can hear news from all around the country too, right? It's not even what's happening next door, but you hear about um, an event or some negative thing that's happening, you know, states away. And so you are bombarded with that every day. And the news also like sensationalizes everything, right? So it make it seem like the worst possible thing all the time. So I do think if you're someone who's a little bit anxious or prone to that, I mean, you have to try to find a way to just cut that off and set limits for yourself, right? Because you don't want to be bombarded with those messages because that is not something that's happening to you or someone you know at this moment. And so for your own mental health, I think it is good to disconnect from a lot of that negativity. And so really being careful about how you use your social media and who you're talking to on it, or even more importantly, like what content you're looking at. And if you're finding that your feeds are getting filled up with that negative content, whether it's news or just you know, negative content about body image mm-hmm. or what you need to have as the next best thing. I mean, you just got to cut that off, right? Because mm-hmm. it can just overwhelm your day. I'm curious to to hear your, your perspective. Do you think that the social media has negatively affect, affected the mental, has made an effect on the mental health of our current youth? Yeah, I feel like it definitely has. It depends on like who's using it and like what they have access to and all that. I can't like summarize it in like just like one little thing. Like there's like so much like out there. There's so many like, you know, possibilities of what people can find. Like, you know, um, like when I was a young kid, like I didn't really have like my parents like watching over like what like I was looking online and stuff. And I did find some like negative things that a child shouldn't have. It really does depend because like, you know, positives of social media is that people can make like new connections. They can like keep connections, like even like if they're far away and stuff. And I think that's really neat. And like that can help with like social and emotional, like mental health, that kind of thing. Yeah, like I definitely agree. Like I don't have social media. I've never been interested in, never seen the point. The only social media I have is Discord, which I use to chat with some of my friends and it's not like as like social medialized as like let's say Instagram or Twitter or Snapchat but I have definitely seen the negative impact it's taken on some of my friends like if they get text messages mean thing because something's going on at school like I've seen 
them get really upset and like have them be really upset because of some jerk on the internet and of some like somebody doing something horrible like I've definitely seen them just them being like okay yeah this is a day to um like the worst day in like their entire month. Do you guys think too it it seems to me it's much easier to have a negative comment or be mean to someone when you're not doing it to their face and yep, you're just definitely, making yep, a definitely. comment. Uh-huh. Right. That's mm-hmm. Twitter. Yeah, and that's so, Twitter. Yeah, I mean, we have examples, unfortunately, across all leadership, even of our country of that, right? Mm-hmm. We, we, don't, yeah. we don't model that very, very well for our youth. <laughs> mm-hmm. Actually, the opposite. Yeah. And so it's much easier to make like snap judgments or say something that might not even be true about someone. So I do think it's important to make sure that if that's something you're getting affected by, then yeah, trying to cut it off so you're not having yeah. to see it and really focusing on those relationships um, that you're face to face, you know, and you're cultivating. It's really more important to have a few good friends, right, than like a hundred acquaintances that might may or may not, right, continue those relationships. And those relationships, the close ones, are super protective for your mental health. Yeah, I don't understand why people would want to take the time out of their lives to go onto the internet and insult people for no reason, just like spread negativity and bring people down for no reason. Yeah, I, like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, post a cute picture of your dog, post a cute picture of this meme that's like making fun of a dog or making fun of a cat. And, like, I've definitely had instances where I'm, like, you were being a jerk to my friend online. And I would straight up say, why are you doing this? And they would go, uh, and they would just completely just not answer me. And I think it's definitely easier when they don't know who, when they're just like, oh, this is a random person. I'm going to be a giant troll to them for no apparent reason. Like, it's just way easier because you're like, oh, I don't know that person. That's not going to affect me. And I think when you do know people there's a responsibility to repair the harm mm-hmm. when it does happen. Because we, I mean, that it happens between um, relationships that you do know, but then there is, if you want to keep the relationship, there's some things that require you to, 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 to make some repairs with when harm is done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's the stuff that people didn't get a chance to learn during COVID. Because as you guys were mentioning, when you're coming back and you felt like everyone was maybe getting aggressive and in fights more than usual. Well, part of it is that they didn't have any practice with some of that too, right? So again, so much better if you can have these in-person interactions where you're really focusing on your reaction when something negative happens and how am I going to, you know, again, have the resiliency and the skills to handle that in a positive way and not let it get me down. Because I I have uh, friends of mine that are just like what you said, one thing that they see online can sometimes affect their mood for the whole rest of the day, right? And so that's unfortunate, right? And you want to be able to disconnect from that a little bit and just focus on Again, those things that you enjoy, like your dog, <laughs> like all those other great, the great people in your life, the relationships at school, your good friends. What advice would you give people, young or old, that don't have access to therapy? How would like how to like you know manage their mental health in a way that's like healthy? Well, one thing I'll say, but I'll let you take. You know, there's so many skills that you teach with social emotional learning, but one thing we talk about in medicine is that everything can affect your mental health. And that can be down to just like 
what you do in your day. So what I mean by that is how are you sleeping, right? Are you on a good routine? Are you going to bed at the same time, getting up at the same time, right? And are the times in between that more than four hours, right, for my teenagers? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can't go to bed at two in the morning because you got to get up and go to high school the next day. Um, that can really help your mental health. Um, what you're eating, so making sure that you're eating regularly. Exercise. So if you're someone that's struggling a little bit, let's say with depression symptoms, for example, um, really your body and exercising and being physically active is another thing that helps raise those, you know, chemicals in your brain. So, you know, some of those basic things Things, like really forcing yourself to be into this like good routine can be really helpful in the background to get you through some of the things that you're experiencing. Well, it wasn't that beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, one of the things that I that came to my mind as you were asking the question was identity, right? Knowing, getting to know you, knowing and understanding who, who you are so nobody else can tell you and be able to direct that narrative for you, right? And then the other thing that came to my mind um, as you were asking is the um, affirmations. And um, those are things that really, really, that I notice for me, like it works for me as an adult as well. So I'll look in the mirror and I'll say some good things and I'll say, good morning, gorgeous. And I will remind myself of my um, beautiful intelligence and that I'm making good decisions and um I'm a valuable resource to our community. So just saying really, really nice things to yourself um, quite often, I think, because our brains can be real. uh, Well, our thinking, I would say, can be some of us can be really tough on ourselves. And just reminding yourself to be gentle with yourself and show yourself some grace. You know, the other thing I'll add is um, there's lots of ways to sort of work through what's going on inside, right? And the worst thing you can do is, like, not talk to anybody, not talk to yourself, just sort of hold it all in. So if you are, you know, thinking, okay, I'm waiting, right? I, I want to go see this therapist. I don't have the appointment yet. There's there's other ways to get started, right? So one of them can be journaling if that's something that is good for you, right? So in it's if you're like, okay, I, I'm not ready to talk out loud to myself in the mirror. Or it's not working for me. Maybe it's writing it down, you know, and, and talking every to yourself every day through your journaling. Maybe it's connecting with someone you really trust, whether that's a parent or a sibling or somebody, to just start those conversations about like, hey, this is what's going on. Because I do think there's so many um, people in your life. And if you have a good positive relationship, and you can start, you know, just opening up and talking about that, that can sometimes really make a big difference as you're getting started on that journey, too. I personally believe that the best thing, well, one of the best things is like self love practicing self love, because you know, sometimes you can't have like anyone to like lean on. So you have to, you know, pick yourself up like you have to really love yourself. So practicing that is like a really good way. Like I've been trying to practice that, you know, like what Ms. Chaka was saying, (laughs) you know, complimenting yourself and, you know, just being nice to yourself. Yeah, Yeah, I definitely agree with uh, Electra. Like I have social anxiety. So being around people or um, just, or like I also have ADHD. So focusing is sometimes hard. And especially during a school week when I have a bunch of other stuff going on, it's really hard to focus. So what I do on the weekends, I don't interact with people a lot. I try to limit what I do. I try to hang out with my dog, catch up on whatever TV show I'm watching. Like d- definitely agreeing with Ms. Shaka and um, 
Electra are saying about just being yourself and like knowing who you are and just practicing self-care. And aren't animals the best? Because yes, they yes. love you yeah. all the time, right? Mm-hmm. You come home from school and they're like the first ones mm-hmm. there. You're having a bad day. You want to watch your show. You need some downtime. They'll just cuddle up yep. right next to you. So. Yeah. And then there's the, oh, there's a random sock. I want that sock. It's mine now. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to shout out my cats, Fluffy and Marsh. They are the best. Yeah, my cuddly dog. guys. Yep. Oh no, my dog Jangles. He's absolutely amazing. I mean, he is the biggest goofball. He will steal, and he recently had an upset tummy because he eats sticks and leaves. But he'll also, he's the first one to greet me when we come into the house. He's the first one to be like, oh my god, you're downstairs. I haven't seen you in five minutes. Come give me cuddles. Like, he is the, he is amazing. He'll also steal your socks and prance around the house until you give him a treat. But he's also amazing. Do you guys have any pets? I do. I have a dog, and I got him during COVID. <laughs> and I have a daughter who is 13. She's the only child, so she's out. She was. It was me and her mm. in the house, and we. She was. She had been asking for a dog, asking <laughs> for a dog, and one of uh, my colleagues was like, "Hey." I got something for y'all, and this dog is really um, was one was one of those things. And I'm as you were talking, I'm curious of what the statistics are with COVID pets because because of the healthy mental interactions that happens between um, people and the animals. Yeah, I have um, two dogs and two cats. So we got a little zoo going on in our house. <laughs> we had um, we got one cat during uh, our second cat during COVID, and the the puppy towards the end of that. So um, we actually had a bunny during COVID too. Aww. He unfortunately passed away, but Aww. we did have um, we did have a bunny as well. So we definitely felt that. You know, it was just so yeah. so great to have that around in the house and just have that you know experience and brought everybody together. You know, um, trying to help take care of the animals and so. But I have days I don't like my animals. Like <laughs> Me too. My new puppy just ate my favorite pair of shoes no. the day before yesterday. Oh it just God. can't last too long. Like, you can't be mad at Nothing lasts. Long, right? I mean, like, my mom loves fluffy socks, and I do too. Well, one of her Christmas gifts was fluffy socks because guess who chewed a hole in her favorite fluffy socks? So, like, I know this is a little off topic, but can you guys tell us more about your animals, like, name, breed? I love animals, so I know. Yeah, me too. Timmy is a Yorkshire Terrier. Oh, Yorkies are adorable. And um, he is kind of boss, like boss watchdog. <laughs> he keeps an eye on the door. He's a little scary um, and nervous. And the the beauty is, is that you can kind of see their emotions too, because they have them. Um, and um, he is very much so loyal, and he's going to make sure that nobody comes too close without me knowing it. I mean, you just described what a good, like, close friendship yeah. is, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of why it's so exciting to talk about the animals and everything is because we're sort of talking through, like, what does that feel like to have someone you're trusting that, you know, you're relying on? And so that is why it's helping your mental health. And for some people, maybe animals aren't it, but then maybe they're developing these like close relationships with certain people that really help them get through, you know, harder times. So. And Dr. Bodie, when you were saying the physical uh, movement for the keeping your uh, positive, you know, a positive uh, mental health piece, 
the dog, the animal has also been a big part oh of my that God. for me. <laughs> yeah, gotta gotta walk them. Gotta walk them. Gotta get move. that movement on, and it does feel good when you move. Yeah, like I definitely I play two sports. I play basketball and I play softball, and definitely when I'm upset or having a bad day or when it's just been. Ugh, or if I just want to be lazy, I can't because basketball or softball or just having my dog, it's always there and it's always willing to like bring you up and being like, you got to do this. It's fun. Come on. Yeah, cats are almost the opposite because I can just laze around and they'll laze with me. Of course, you have to play with them and everything to keep them stimulated. But, you know, most of the time they're mostly just sleeping or eating. Yeah. But they're still really... I really do love having them around. They calm me and they make me happy. Animals really are the best. I mean, they like to whack you when you don't pet them enough. (laughs) I know my dog, if he's upset, he'll go, what? And he'll just smack you. Actually, I heard that purring is like, it it helps with like, you know, with like your happiness Mm -hmm. and like, you know, the happy chemicals in your brain actually does help too, which is really cool. So it helps. It would help the uh, the human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's support. It's, like it's one thing, I forget where I read it, but I was reading about how cats and dogs, they like, what they do is, well, cats especially, when they meow, they meow to their kittens. That's not their normal way of communicating. So when they're meowing at us, they're like, you big baby kitten, <laughs> you need to do this. And like cats feel happy when they're with their humans or dogs feel happy with their humans and I find it adorable well they bring us happiness but we also bring them happiness as if we treat them right something uh going back to uh, self-love real quick uh valentine's day how was that for you guys valentine's day was great for me um I usually still even though my kids are um in teenagers I still um when they get up in the morning, set up a little thing for them yeah. at the breakfast table, even though like my 16 year old's like, all right, Bob. And I'm like, it's okay. It's still really fun. Um, and then the rest of it just kind of flowed like our day. I don't know about you guys, right? But you still had to like go to work and school and had all your activities. So it kind of started off with this intentional stuff and then just the rest of the day happened. But it was great. Um, Valentine's Day was this week, wasn't it? Feels yeah. like it just goes so quickly and fast. This Valentine's that this Valentine's Day was really nice, um, and I'm reminded that love is abundant. Yep, in all different forms too. That's what yeah. really like what I did for Valentine's Day. You know, it's not just romantic; it's self love, family, love. Yeah, platonic, like your best friends. Yeah. Like any kind of love, and I think that's like important to like highlight because it's really important in people's lives. I think we'll wrap up with those adorable questions. So thank you to our host Shaka Diab and Dr. Bodhi. Thank you for being our podcast guest. I definitely learned a lot about mental health and how it affects the um, brain and such. Yep, same. You guys really have a lot of good insight and advice, especially like if you don't have like a a therapist. That was really good advice you gave. Yeah, I definitely agree. And make sure to check out our other Superintendent Student Ambassadors podcasts on your favorite podcast platform, so Spotify, YouTube, etc. And give us a follow at Coles City Schools SSA. And until next time, CCS family, goodbye. Bye.